This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show. Best of the rest. Not another Ronnie Barron podcast. We are the best of the rest. The best Nerdy Legion podcast. Let's hear it. Okay, we're back. Episode three of Best of the Rest. Gosh, we're just smoking along here, Dennis. I mean, man, we've made already made it to three. Three? Can you believe it? We're gonna. Man. We got a long way to go to catch up with Valiant Central, but you know, we're 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 on our way. I don't know. We could sit here and maybe start doing this three times a week. But That'd we get caught up pretty quick. Yeah, we can easily bypass I Am Gotham because I think. Uh, well, I think we already <laughs> have. Oh, we have. I don't know. Well, hmm. Let's see. I have to go back and look. But we will pretty shortly. So. <laughs> All right. So I guess tonight we're going to be talking about The Damned from Oni Press. Well, before we do that, there was a suggestion made by our esteemed producer, Michael Sparkman, who thought it might be better if we mentioned up front any libations that we're enjoying during this. Okay. Well, tonight I am partaking of... Not your mom's iced tea. I kind of given a little break from the from the whiskey and everything. I've been traveling and it's gotten really hot and so uh, it's from the makers of Not Your Father's Root Beer, which I quite enjoyed. I think I mentioned that last year, and it's like really great for making a adult treats with uh, root beer floats. And they actually make a ten point root beer now. Wow! But they've just come out with this, and I tried it out. I tried it out, and it's. You know, pretty good for store-bought iced tea. Now, being from the South, I, I know how sweet tea is supposed to taste. And this isn't bad. So it's a uh, 5.6%, and uh, you can drink uh, quite a few quite fast. Good. Oh, yeah, I'm also from, well, Texas, which is Southwest more than South. But yes, I know about uh, sweet tea. My mother used to make sweet tea, and I, I swear I probably still have sugar stalactites in my stomach from drinking my mother's sweet tea. Sounds good. I have I've tried the dad's root beer, or not your dad's root beer. I have not tried the mom's iced tea. Well, I am drinking Shock Top Belgian White beer, which is very much in the same vein of Blue Moon. If anybody's familiar with that, uh, it's, I find it to be. I don't find the taste to be any different, and it's a, about a buck fifty a six pack cheaper <laughs> than Blue Moon's. Man, the only thing cheaper than that's a Zima, <laughs> right? And that Zima is like barely a drink, I think. It's, I don't know. Who was it? Dewan, or no, it was a Dewan or JC. Put that in the Slack channel. Saw that Zima was back. But, um, yes, yes. I've been in a few of my stores and they've kind of rearranged things so they can have the shelves full of Zima. Like there's all these people are going to be clamoring for it. All right. Well, I, I don't know about that. I don't either. We'll know we've gone truly retro if California Cooler comes back. <laughs> I never remember that. Well, I think in that same conversation they were talking about Bartles and James. So oh, I, have, God. I haven't, I haven't seen. Well, they said somebody had brought it, but I haven't seen it. But you know what? I don't go looking for it. Well, that's true. That's true. I don't either. So who's? Oh, I was, Garrett was asking about it. What Zima was, and I, I think I described it as an alcoholic beverage for people who don't like alcoholic beverages. <laughs> because it doesn't, it doesn't taste like anything. So, oh, I thought that was fruity drinks you bought your wife on anniversaries. That was the the the, uh, the drinks you give uh, people oh, that don't like the alcohol. <clears throat> well, that's true as well. But um, anyway, oh, enough of that. We're digressed. <laughs> Pretty good. <on> that. <laughs> Okay, Oni Press. I'll have to admit, Oni Press isn't something I've read a lot of. I think they're almost like a fan of graphics where they don't do a lot of monthly books. Um, I think they they usually did a lot of like trade paperbacks or uh, well, you think trade paperbacks are collections of monthly books, but these weren't even monthly books. Um, I kind of see them doing what they did, uh, like Scott Pilgrim. Um, I'm trying to think of some other stuff. Uh, uh, well, they do. Uh, some things that to me are just not—they're they're more light, light reading. I, don't they do? I need to find this out. Rick and Morty, I thought, is what was from Oni, but I may be wrong on that. Uh, they might be IDW. 
Because IDW is pretty good with the licensing. They're kind of right now. They're the ones I think of. If if it's a licensed deal, it's IDW, and if it's not them, it's Titan. Right. But Titan seems to be like overwhelming the market with like Doctor Who books. So all you Doctor Who fans that aren't too happy with the Thirteenth Doctor, don't worry. You can go read the uh, Titan comics because they're still still doing David Tennant uh, runs of of Doctor Who. So oh, and they're doing a uh, uh, Chris Chris Eccleston too. Exactly. So you can get your Doctor Who fix on whatever Doctor you want through Titan. But no, I've not read a lot of Oni either. In fact, I read one other title that we talked about that I enjoyed. It was a hard-boiled 1930s hard-boiled crime noir with a female protagonist called Angel City. It was a six-issue limited. But that's been my only other exposure to Oni. And I do want to think, I, I think they came about in 97s when they were founded. And I want to think I remember seeing some stuff from them uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, but that was kind of like the the bleak days of comics. Um, and that was probably why they founded it. I think the, the, they weren't, the founders didn't like what was currently out there. And so they decided to uh, start their own company to publish uh, comics and graphic novels that they wanted to read. Right. And... If you're listening and you're going out now to try to Google or DuckDuckGo Oni Press's website, good luck with all that because they don't have one. They probably have a Facebook page. They do have a Facebook page, and I think they're on. I think they have Instagram and maybe Twitter, but they don't have a. They don't have a website. So they're doing that whole social media thing. Right. Exactly. So, but anyway, tonight we're going to be talking about The Damned by Cullen Bunn and art by Brian Hurt. And I think the nickname for this uh, this pairing is Hurt Bun. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I think Ronnie came up with that because <laughs> um, I announced it on you know in, in our in our chat group in on Facebook and they got nothing but yeah jokes and smart wisecrack <laughs> answers to it. No, but I mean, I, I I look at the art. I think the art's nice and clean. I love the colors on this book, and I think anything else I've looked at Oni Press, I've always been impressed with how they color their books. Yeah, the coloring is, yeah. I was going to, I specifically was, made that as a talking point on this. That I don't know if you want to get into it now or... Well, maybe we ought to get more into the book, and then I guess we can, and we're okay. jumping ahead into the details. Right. So, um, you want to kind of give us a brief rundown of what so far? So, this is an ongoing that just started a couple months ago, and I think there's only two issues out so far. Right. And I think there's been two to three previous miniseries based in this universe. Yes. The first was in uh, 2006, or 2006 into 2007. And then they did a like a, it was a five issue mini, and then they did a three issue in two thousand and eight, and then the, it's been dormant since. And then they've started off just this year. Uh, this what they're calling an ongoing series. Yeah. So this is yeah. This is my first uh, delving into it. Have you read any of the others? No, I have not. Okay. So it's this is our first. So we're we're kind of getting our feel for this world, and you know, and it's. I'm going to assume that some things uh, are already built, but it didn't seem that difficult to come in as a new reader. So, No, and they did a pretty good job. And I, I was even thinking about reading this because it's, it's on the title page, so you can't really count it as a spoiler. But it sort of sets up kind of what this world is. And what it says here is, Gangsters grow rich on our vices and rivalries between criminal organizations and bloody massacres in the streets. But unknown to the masses, demonic families control rackets using greed, gluttony, lust, and other sins as a fuel to lucrative trade of mortal souls. So so you can almost think this is a, like an alternate uh, history from um, the 1920s, 1930s gangsters. So maybe this did really did happen, and as you find out in the story, the only people that can see the demons in their true form are the individuals that are damned. Right. So it it could could be an alternate or, you know, a, a telling of history in the past. It's just most of us can't see it because we couldn't see the demons. Exactly. And the title character, Eddie, is one of these, the damned. Um, and, and like I said, we 
not having read the previous runs, I'm sure we missed a lot of backstory, but you really don't need it to understand, you know, to start in with this. Uh, but the interesting thing is, uh, he's damn, he's mortal, he can die, but he doesn't have to stay dead. If uh, someone touches his body at the point of death, then they take his place. They die, and he continues to live. Yep, so I guess that's his curse, so to speak. And I guess, well, since he sold his soul for this, I mean, there's nothing to, I mean, and I guess maybe that's some of the backstory about they have possession of his soul, so I guess he's just going to live forever? Or could there be a point when... They just he just doesn't well, come back. As I understood it, if he dies and no one touches him, he's dead. I mean, he's gone. It's that it's that it's that point where at the point of death, as, as the moment he's dying, if someone if he touches or someone touches him, they take his place. Otherwise, yeah, he's gone. So, so he's not immortal by any means, or, or cursed with immortality, or but he just has that's his. Ability. So. Yeah, that's his ability. So, 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 what do we know here in the story in these first two issues? Okay, well, he is Eddie is the owner of a nightclub called the Gehenna Room, and apparently there are two rival families, gangster families, that are actually run by these demon families. Uh, the Alighieri family, which I was amusing because Alighieri. This is actually, obviously, a reference to Dante Alighieri, the Italian poet that wrote the Divine Comedy, of which Dante's Inferno is the most popular, well-known of the uh, three parts to that. And the Rourke family is the other demon family. So they're, these two are kind of competing with each other. And as we open this first issue... Um, you know, Eddie's running this Gehenna room nightclub. It's it's a typical, looks like the typical speakeasy of the 1920s. You know, uh, people in tuxedos, the, the, definitely the aristocratic crowd. And he runs this, but he has one rule, and that is no demons allowed. And since he can see demons, he can make out their true form, whereas that they appeared just as humans to everyone else. Yeah, it's easy for him to spot them. So yeah, I like that spread when you kind of see the room. So it's your classic like speakeasy. You got your orchestra on the say stage. You got your uh, lone female singer up there. You've got your men in tuxedos, uh, the flappers, uh, the the I don't know what they're called. The women with the cigarette uh, carts in front of them or hanging. No, they they called they were called cigarette girls. That's what they were called. Okay, that's that's pretty obvious. And then you kind of see some of the artworks. The columns have got snakes coming up through them. And then you kind of see, did you, did you catch up there in the upper right-hand corner? It looks like there's a statue of Prometheus. Yes. So he's chained, and you've got Zeus's winged falcon uh, pulling at his entrails. Right. And it's not as graphic as I just said it. You could just see the eagle just poking into his stomach there. Yeah, so, no, it's not graphic. So you, so you can kind of sit there and see where, you know, Gehenna, which I think was one of the levels of hell. Yes. And, um, you know, maybe that's the theme of the club. And, you know, but demons aren't allowed. No, they're not. And, uh, of course, <clears throat> pretty shortly on here, or pretty early on, this group of demons tries to come in. And they they're trying to reason with him, arguing with him, saying, "You know, we're not we're just here to uh, have have a few laughs." Well, he knows better. He knows they're they're up to something. They wouldn't just come into this club, so he sends them off. And you'll, we'll learn why. I don't know. I don't want to go too far into the. Well, well, there was a little bit of like it was like two or three pages of them going back and forth of, well, hey, why don't you let us in? No, it's my rules. Oh, come on, you've been on the bad side before. Who's going to notice? Nobody here knows there's demons. They're not going to see us. You know, if you know what's good for you, it's good. It's bad business to turn away customers. And your whole your whole gangster almost back and forth. Yeah. Which which was pretty. I mean, the writing for this is pretty good. I mean, they did. You don't have the cliche kind of stuff you see in gangster movies, but. You know, they do they have that attitude. And the demons are talking like gangsters, except they, they peddle in souls, not booze or 
or other kinds of racketeering. Right. You're right. They do. The writing is really well done. And they don't do cliche, but he does. Colin Bunn does a good job of using vernacular of what were the slang of that time. Yes. Uh, There's one point where I think uh, this demon says to Eddie, you know, well, you sure it's, it's obvious. It's obvious you know your onions. You know, that's not a phrase nobody says today. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, he's obviously done some research into that time period and some of the phrases and and slang that they use. Yeah, but you don't have, you know, any of the Dick Tracy stuff going on. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> now we just did it ourselves. Well, uh, yeah, well, I, <laughs> I'm old. I'm the oldest person in the, in the of this whole nerdy legion group, so I think everyone knows that. So. Okay. So anyway, he's t- he's turned them off. So this is the this is the Rourke family. Yes. And then we find out the reason because he, like I said, he suspects that they're they're looking for someone that they wouldn't just come into there just to have a good time. He he knows better. He doesn't know what they're looking for, but he finds out pretty shortly that uh, he runs into. An old friend of his that he hasn't seen in a long time, uh, called Polly Bones. Yeah, and and Polly's got a distinct features, and that was another thing I kind of liked about this art. You kind of get some artists that just you know background characters or other characters. You did you've got a few things differentiating their features. Um, everybody in these two books, you can you know who the characters are just by looking at them. That's for sure. Yeah. No, this is- Brian Hart did a very good job of characterization. And it's, it's interesting because you look at the Eddie, you can see these, they're very faint, but they're definitely there, scars on his face that kind of crisscross that obviously where he's been cut. And you can see it all in every panel that he's on. You, you see them, they're, they're very faint. But yeah, you can tell that Eddie's uh, had a rough existence. <laughs> he's seen some some bad times. So we don't know what, you know, it's kind of hinted on that he, Eddie realizes that, okay, the Rourke, these Rourke family, people were looking for him and he's probably looking for sanctuary and Eddie tells him he can stay for three days. Mm-hmm. But that he's got to get out. And then he, Eddie leaves and goes and visits this really mysterious character, Deidre, who's, she answers the door and she's got this scarf that cover uh, a hood that covers her head, almost like she almost looks like a nun in some ways. There are certain sects of nuns, and a scarf covering her face. But there's little droplets of blood on this scarf and on her hand. So it's it's really uh, kind of mysterious and macabre looking. Yeah, and this is one of the things I'm wondering if we had read the earlier series, would it you know have more background on her character? It's likely, it's likely, but um, that's, if if it is, uh, but another thing Strength of Bun does is, in the conversation, they mention enough things that you can kind of pick up enough of the background, but he's not, he's not doing it in a, a way that's overt, that would seem silly, like, oh, you remember the time when so-and-so, so-and-so, you know, they're just little hints about things in the past that you can get a glimpse of the background of these characters, and you don't really need to know the full, full yeah, story. Yeah, I mean, they're having a normal conversation, and they're kind of catching up and telling some things in the past, and it's just, it, it's a natural conversation. Right. Whereas, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. They could He could have gotten real silly with it, or somebody kind of goes off on a little soliloquy to try to give in the background that would seem, it would seem forced and fake, but this doesn't. He does a very good job of interspersing giving us enough background because I mean you know 2008 to 2017 that's a pretty good gap mm-hmm. and there's going to be a lot of people that pick this book up that have never didn't read the first series and probably a lot that aren't interested in reading the earlier series uh, so he's got to that's always I think a challenge for a writer especially in something like this of if you're starting a new series or trying to pick up, you know, what publishers like to call the jumping on point, how do you balance, you know, being true to the characters, being true to the previous readers, but still making it 
accessible for new readers. That's not easy. That is a, not an easy task. And from what, just from these first two issues, I think Bun did a good job of doing that. Yeah. So Eddie's been talking to Deidre. And I guess, he, yeah, he's just asking about Polly. And then, then there's Corey. Oh, is Polly here? And uh, he's kind of denying it, saying he's just, you know, he's just curious and stuff and about the old gang and everything. So I, I can't tell if there's, you know, I, I mean, I leave it on good terms and all that, but they're still, he's, they're withholding information from each other. Right. Exactly. And then he leaves her apartment and gets immediately accosted and by by the Rorks who are not happy that he didn't admit them to the club. So I won't go into the details of that scene, but it's yeah, they're they're not happy. <laughs> and that then the, the first issue concludes with a a couple pages about Polly and we kind of see a little bit about what's going on with him of why a little bit of a reveal as to why the Rorks are after him. Yeah. A little bit of a reveal. And then also at this parts when, you know, uh, Eddie's kind of in his inner voice, kind of explaining the whole thing about souls and you start to get a, you get a few panels where you're seeing, I don't know what a demon monkey with steel cages and I guess yeah. you're assuming their souls in there. I, that's kind of that's the only thing I could think of, but yeah, that's that's very. It's sort of well. There's one page where it's every other panel. It shows Eddie with this, you know, with his throat cut, and then it shows this. And it's it's funny you know, about the coloring in these other panels. It's almost no color at all. It's almost monochrome. A little, a little bit of color here and there. Well, it's almost like a patina set in kind of set in the era, kind of yeah. like um, uh, what was that movie? Um, oh, oh, brother, where art thou? How they did the artificial patina on it to give you that feel from the nineteen thirties. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, kind of dusty. So they've they've kind of done the same thing here to this this coloring. But yeah, this there, there's this creature I don't know, like Gollum or whatever you want to call it, that's climbing on these twisted bent branches, and he's got a chain on him with these little cubes and they have these some kind of characters you know of, of some sort of language so yeah do those contain souls I don't know but it certainly implies that based based on the what that scene is what's going on in that scene oh, yeah. yep so it ends and you kind of see Eddie in his room and he's you know he's got something and he's looking at it, and it's it's like we have no idea what it is or anything, and that's kind of how the issue ends. Right. All right. So do we want to pick up for issue two? Yeah. Well, at the beginning of issue two, we it's kind of a flashback to uh, Eddie or Polly, who's at the craps table, and we see how he acquires this object that uh, the Rorks are trying to get back from him. Well, well, is it the, is it the Rorks? Or is this another crime family? And Eddie, a few weeks ago, was, was somewhere else with this crime family. Uh, I yep. thought it was the Rorks, but I don't know. I may be wrong. Well, it's, it's not... It's not it's not really told, so I've kind of had that question in my head. Like, it's, a, it's another... I know you don't know how many families they are, and you know it could be that where this series is set could be like Chicago, and Eddie was like in Atlantic City, and they came, or it could all be around like what the equivalent of Chicago is. You don't get a feel for how how big this world there, you know, of, that we're, we're inhabiting here. Was he just on the other side of town? Was he on the other side of the other coast? So that's that's still some some stuff to be fleshed out. Right. Yeah, we don't know how many. Actual families, uh, we just know that there's two primary, the Allegheny family and the Rorks. So, but yeah, then we, we see this scene of about a week back before, a week before, before the current time of how 
Polly gets this object. And then we go into where Eddie now has been. He gets out of one. He gets out of the scrape with the Rorks, only to be picked up by the uh, henchmen of the Alighieri family, and they take him out to meet Tony, who's sort of like the this guy named Tony, who's I don't know if he's the head of the Alighieri family or just. Well, Tony's who he's, who he's talking to, and they who's heading up this group, and I guess then they go out to meet Big Al. And I guess Big Al, so the... Um, oh, Al, Big Al is the head of the yeah, family. This is the right-hand Al- man. I mean, the Allegheny, they're the, they're the top family here. Right. So they, they rule the roost, and the Rorks are, are second tier. So they have to acquiesce to them on things. So um, Right. And so Big Al runs it all, so he's he's the boss. Yep. In typical gangsta fashion. You know, he's he's got the suit, he's got the cufflinks, he's got the cigar. Yep. Very polite, but polite in a threatening way. The only thing that's a little bit different than the typical gangster is he's got horns. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not wearing a fedora. That would just he would just ruin it. I mean, it would just. <laughs> yeah, so they take him out way outside the city, this wooded area, and you know they're trying to get information from him too about you know what's going on with this Polly character. What has he got? Trying to, you know, so they know what these two factions are trying to get hold of what this object that Polly has acquired. Yeah. So, but but you know what they they don't ever in their discussions they don't ever directly just kind of up and say everything. It's all like uh, hints and imply implying things and you know allegories and such. I I get the impression that they're afraid to let. Eddie know what this is. Oh, there definitely are that. You know, they, they're just, yeah, that's why they're not saying it. It's like, we're looking for this object, but they're not going to tell him what it is because it's too damned um, but, important for them to know. But it's in your best interest in health to, to, to tell us what you know. Exactly. <laughs> so then I guess we kind of get some more of your typical um, bootlegging aspect of uh, the gangsters of the time. Right. So, the, so then you have the so the reason Big Al's out there, I guess he's arranged. He, he's got a meeting with the oh what the Nag family. Yeah. Oh no, or the the Argent clan. I'm sorry, it's the Argent clan out of Nag's Hollow. Right. Who? Yeah, they're his bootleg suppliers running moonshine. They distill the moonshine that they. Right. Yeah, but I guess the big thing about them is is this family has never not one mem- single member of this family has dealt their soul to a demon. Right. Yeah, and he mentions that that the, this is the only the only group that he knows of that Eddie knows of that has you know remained outside of that has no one has ever succumbed to that. So then Eddie, yeah, so then yeah, Eddie kind of takes a back seat and watches this um, negotiation. <laughs> that's a good word for it. <laughs> it's a good. It's a yeah. It's a negotiation, but it's uh, there's not a lot of words in this negotiation. It's it's more action. Well, so. well one says we know that's your boys you sent out there to kind of. Well, the price has gone up because we know it's you that sent the boys out there to kind of harass us. And then Big Al goes, "Oh, you mean the ones that didn't show back up?" <laughs> and, and then the leader of the clan goes, "Well, they must have got lost." Mm-hmm. And then it's like, um, and then he kind of threatens, well, I'll go to your competition if, if I want to. And then, and then I guess that's where Big Al does his final negotiation. Yeah. And it is final. <laughs> there's no, there's no, uh, rene- yeah, there's no coming back from this. So, yeah, so Big Al's men then convinced to uh, wiping out all the members of the family that showed up except for the leader. Yeah. Did they get the name of the leader? Um, well, I don't think they actually do. He's just the the leader of the clan. So anyway, so he's the he's the last one there, and you know now he's ready to deal with Big Al. But Big Al's like, uh, yeah, we don't really want your moonshine. And so at this point, Eddie Eddie knows that they brought him out there to witness this, sort of as a a warning. So once this is over with, he just hot he. You know, foot ankles it back to the city, just takes off and walks back. 
and they don't try to stop him. Well, you know, I kind of like that little exchange at the end when uh, when Tony kind of asks, "Hey, the boss isn't finished talking to you," and Eddie's kind of like, "He didn't come. In, he didn't bring me out here to talk to me. He, no. he showed me what he wanted to show me." And then Tony's go, "That's one of the reasons I like you. You're sharp as a tack. You pick up on things quick." Right. <laughs> so the message has been delivered. Yep. <laughs> so then he walks back to city, and then he comes in, comes across another group of really um, bizarre-looking creatures. Uh, they look like it could be the freak show at, a, at an old-time carnival. <laughs> yeah, and and it's almost like they consider Eddie one of them. Yep. Yeah, and. So then you get you get hints. Now they're now they're looking for Polly. They've heard Polly's there, and that Polly's got this big score, and he's got this yeah. score that's going to let him deal. And I guess the the key the comment that the guy makes at the end is like, "We can get out, Eddie. All of us. We can get out clean." Yep. So you you've got another hint of kind of what's going on there. A bit, yeah. It, it's it's all starting to set up. You can tell that this, you know, this is going to be some kind of a confrontation between all these factions, and Eddie and and Polly are going to be stuck right in the middle of it. Yeah. So then the book ends where the club's closed. Eddie's there. He gets a drink. Polly's there. He gets a drink, and Eddie tells him to, "All right, what's going on? I, you know, something's going on. I've I've had this happen tonight. I'm I'm through with your bull. Be straight with me." And the whole time Eddie's thinking that he's, you know, Polly is just owes Big Al or whoever a lot of money that he was gambling and everything and lost. No, and a matter of fact, he won, and he won something that one of these people—I don't know whether it was with the Rourke or Allegheny family or somebody else—he bet something he shouldn't have bet, and he lost it to Polly, and that's what everybody is after. Yeah, so I, I guess the—I guess the only little bit of information we've got is that he bet something that mortals weren't even supposed to know about. Right. And so now we've kind of, you know, that's how you know the issue ends with that kind of reveal there um, from this loan enforcer that's kind of going after the guy that lost the bet. So I guess that's another family. Well, he says it's their employer, so it's almost like whoever's higher up than Big Al and everything. So apparently it's more of a demon-human, and the demons have got to get this back, and it doesn't matter what family you're in, or who, whichever family gets it back has a lot of sway. Exactly. But apparently it's it's got something that they can negotiate with, and... I guess all these people have lost their souls, so it's kind of setting up that this is some kind of scheme to get your souls back from the from demons. Is how yeah, I as, as how I've kind of been led. Yeah, and we know how we always know how schemes work out in the end. <laughs> yep, we do. So. <laughs> so it could be a kind of monkey's paw. Yep, and that's so that kind of takes us to the first two books. We're starting to set this up. Um, you know, you can't do a lot in two issues. Uh, so it's, you know, there's, there's an, enough intrigue there, I think, for people to keep going reading it. But uh, Well, yeah, now you've got this mysterious object. Uh, the demons really want it. Uh, for some reason, they just can't take it. Um, it shouldn't have been bet, but this guy wanted to bet it. Um, so, the, you know, there's a lot of little interesting things there. Yeah, I, I found out interesting that they can't, not only can they not take it, they they can't seem to locate it. You would think that it would give off some sort of energy or something that they could trace down, but they, apparently they can't. They know Polly's got it, but they have no clue as to where he is, and they can't find him. So that's why everybody keeps accosting Eddie with <laughs> trying to get the information. Because, well, you know what I kind of found interesting was it almost seems like he accidentally won it. But then you listen to that third group, and it's like, and Eddie's always had this plan. It's almost like he planned it. So, you know, the demons were sitting there accusing him of cheating at dice when they were first doing it. And he says he doesn't cheat, and, you know, that's his reputation. He doesn't teach uh, cheat. But for some reason, he won this. I mean, he cleaned out the house, and it was all or nothing for this last thing, and he won it. You know, fresh set of dice, and or die and everything, so. Right. Um, you know, if he had a plan, it almost sounds like he would have had to have cheated or this dumb luck he ended up with it. Yeah, it, it seems kind of both. I mean, 
I mean, he looks like, you know, a good gambler, smart gambler, but he doesn't also strike me as the sharpest knife in the drawer either as far as intelligence. <laughs> he just, I don't know if he's really got a clue as to what he's got, but that just may be my interpretation on it. I don't know. Or he just knows he has leverage now. Yeah. That could be. He knows that, but he, but he doesn't know exactly. And, and probably if he knew the full ramifications of what he's got, he'd probably, you know, soil his pants because this this thing has obviously got some immense power behind it and it's not going to be good for whoever possesses it. Yeah, I guess it long. makes me wonder if it has to go back with that demon monkey from the first issue. Or it unlocks those boxes? I don't know. It, or it does something possible. with them? It's possible. I don't know. It's 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 early speculation at this point because I don't see enough. I haven't seen enough to link that together, but it may be. Well, I think the third issue is coming out here soon, isn't it? Is it is it coming out this week? It was actually supposed to be out the uh, July twelfth, which was last Wednesday, <laughs> but it's been, apparently been delayed. Oh no! Because I, I know it's the curse of the indie comic coming out yep. coming out on time. Because I know I double checked. I, I mean, it was it was in the May previews this to come out on July twelfth, but I checked the previews website the other day and then asked my local shop owner. And yeah, it's not out yet. Okay. So I don't know when it will be out. Hopefully soon. Okay. So what about the technical details about the comic? I I thought it was you know good art, good color. Um, it used your standard uh, panels. There wasn't any playing with uh, characters or events outside of panels. Right, and no odd-shaped panels. That The art was... God, it's hard to describe. This is what I struggle with, is describing art, um, a specific style, because there's stuff that are very realistic, and some that's less so. Well, and I try to avoid words like cartoony. I hear people say all the time, well, the art was very cartoony. But to me, that says nothing. Um, so... It's a fairly relaxed style. It's not very realistic, but it's not abstract either. I mean, it's simple lines. No, like, I think the shading is done with colors. There's no shading in the pencils. Right. Not that I can tell. It looks like it's all in the color. So it's all, you know, it's clean, sharp uh, lines. Uh, we were talking about panels. I think there there wasn't even really any big splash pages. I think the biggest one is when you first you you kind of see Eddie going through the the club, and you've got a half page. The upper half of two pages is is the biggest splash page. But you know the rest of the right. story is told in tight panels. Uh, it's easy to follow the panels. I there was there's been a couple of books from some other publishers here the past couple of weeks where I've had an issue knowing which panel to go to. Yeah, like I read, I'm not uh, true. Harbinger Renegades Five from last week. There was there's a couple of pages where I didn't I got mixed up on which panel to go to. Yeah, I've had run into that too, and I I don't know. I don't want to. I understand the creativity, but you don't want to. Sometimes I think artists try to be a little bit too clever on things. <laughs> try to be avant garde and something unique, and if it loses the reader, then what good is it? But that, that two-page, a half, that big page that you're talking about, that's a good page to kind of look at and get an, in, an indication of the art and the color. And the colors are pretty muted. They're not a lot of bright colors, except, like, if you look at that one page, the only really bright color is the dress of the singer. Mm-hmm. And it's a bright red. And it it works because it immediately pulls your attention into that. Well, it, pop, it pops, and that's, you know, that's kind of how you would have wanted it back in the day. You kind of, you know, you want the attention to be on the performer. Right, exactly. But, and that kind of, that's the way the colors are. They're not really, I would say, not overly bright or vibrant, but, um, you know, kind of toned down a little bit. I think it works. I like that type of color. I'm not a, I'm not a, Generally, not a big fan of super bright colors. Um, well, I think all the co- I think all the coloring in this book is digital, though. So I don't think yeah. it's not hand; it's digital. I I go back and forth on whether I like the traditional color or uh, digital color, and I mean that's 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 the way things are now. I mean, I think it started in the early '90s going to digital coloring, and some places, some books, and some art, it works, and some it doesn't. This book, it works. 
it's yeah, pretty much all digital now, though, from what I'm understanding, from what I'm reading. Is uh-huh. it, um, and I think part of it is just strictly, uh, you know, cost. It's it's probably less expensive in the end to color digitally than it is, you know, do traditional coloring. You know, I, I know there's some exceptions. Uh, Dustin Wynn, the the colorist, he works with uh, Jeff Lemire on Descender. He still colors by hand because he uses a lot of watercolor. And uh, doesn't Matt Kent's wife do it on the couple yeah, of books? Yeah, Charlene does, Kent. She does it first. Yeah, himself. Department H. Yeah, Department H. She does the coloring, and it's watercolor. So um, that's kind of traditional. Is Grass Kings watercolored? I don't know. It looks it. Certainly it, looks it. It definitely looks it. So, I, but I, if it, whether it's actually that way or not, I don't know. Okay, and uh, I think we've kind of touched on the writing. It, it, I like the writing. Um, again, it's it's the the speech is appropriate for the period, but it isn't over the top. It's it's and it's sufficient, but it's neither sparse nor verbose. Sometimes you can get way too much dialogue and, and narration, but I think this is a good balance. So. Yeah, so a highly, uh, a highly recommended book so far in a series. It's it's drawn me in. Um, the setup, uh, not having read any of the previous ones, I know who the characters are now. I kind of know a few of the rules of the world, um, and I can see where there is the conflict. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's impossible to make a decision on two issues, but I'm interested enough to keep going mm-hmm. on it. And. And an, an incentive, if you're list, for people listening, if you might want to try this, an incentive, the first issue is a dollar. Yes, you can't beat that. And, I mean, you get a full 22 pages, glossy uh, pages. Yeah, it's not it's not cheapened or, or shortened down. It's it's a full issue, and, and it's $1. So it's like, that's, yeah. So it's a good one to start up. So it's it's another 1920s gangster genre. Um what do you think it is that draws people to this? I mean, um, I'm I read Moonshine, which was um, Azario or Azillo. Oh crap! I can't think of his name now. Did a hundred bullets? Azarello? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to say. But he's yeah, but he's had a new uh, series out, and it's on in the middle of an intermission now for Dark Horse called. Moonshine, which is set during the same period and everything. Um, and there's been others like this. Um, you kind of see it in film uh, and things. And it's kind of, you know, kind of came back. Like you had a film several years ago. You had The Great Gatsby redone. I remember watching Boardwalk Empire on uh, HBO. Um, and you've just always, you know, romanticized like the uh, the gangsters from the era and all that. So what is what is it that draws people to this to this genre, to these type of stories? You know, I can, ultimately, I can only speak for myself, but I don't know. It, it's, it's an era that's sort of, there's a romance to it. Uh, romantic. And I don't mean romance, you know, romantic in sort of a nostalgic, a, a simpler time where, uh, you know, things are pretty, pretty straightforward I don't know well, these are in the 20s but I do know like in the 1930s historically a lot of the gangsters the Bonnie and Clyde's and uh, pretty boy Floyd's there, this was during the middle of the depression when people were just poor as hell a lot of these criminals were looked at as heroes in admiration because they were kind of fighting back mm-hmm you know, against you know they were hey you know they were they they weren't just taking taking it and you know they were fighting back and and, and a lot of these people would these criminals would rob and and give money to people who needed it and so I don't know if there's that it's that's hard to say but for me I just I've always liked history I'm kind of a, been a, a student of history so to me it's just it's it's a a simpler time, a more romantic uh, time. Things seem straighter, straighter forward. You know, there's it's 
there's the good guys and the bad guys are pretty cut and dry. Um, no, so let me ask: Could this work as a as a western? <sighs> could I guess I hadn't thought about that. But you know, and, and westerns are kind of in that same vein. You know, they're, oh, they're exactly. They harken back to a, you know, more straightforward, simpler time. So, well, I guess you know it, you've got the crime element from this, and I guess that's more fits with the demons and the vices and and things. So, did it look like this? There's like prohibition going on or not? I really couldn't tell. They were drinking in the club, but you know, it's not really. Well, I guess it is. Uh, the fact that uh, they're meeting bootleggers, like Gary family's doing, dealing with moonshiner. So, yeah, there's. I would say it probably is during the prohibition. Okay. If if they're having to, you know, deal with moonshiners to get their supplies, and yeah, instead of going through normal channels, so yeah, I would say this is probably set during the Prohibition era. It's not, it's not specifically said, but it's certainly implied by a couple of facts. Acts. Yeah, and I guess there's that whole, you know, you've got the government is keeping us from doing this, and you've got the little man just, you know, going against the government to, uh, you know, just some of the simpler pleasures in life. You know, there's that aspect along with the, you know, the Robin Hood uh, trope that we were talking about, you know, robbing the rich to give to the poor, you know, but the rich are getting rich by, you know, bootlegging and, and running devices that you know the common people want to pay for so it's 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 almost like it's a it's formed a a, a natural cycle economic cycle so right. rob from the rich to give to the poor so they can buy the illegal gains to give back to the rich so they can be robbed again to give to the poor yeah <laughs> sounds good but so the damned I'm enjoying it so far. I'm going to keep going. Oh, yeah, I am too. Um, you know, it's just now you're, we're in that purgatory of when's the next issue going to come out. Uh, it's scheduled to come out. It doesn't come out. I do think um, a publisher like Oni Press is a little bit better on getting things out on time than some of your more less established publishers. No names thrown out. Yeah, I think that other series that I read uh, Angel City. It had six issues, and I don't remember any delays on it. So well, I, I mean, if you know it's going to be a limited series, you can almost have the. And maybe this is why it took. Uh, you know, the last series was in '08, and it's just coming out now. Maybe they had to get all the art in the can, the script in the can, so they can sit there and get it published. And you know, it can you know a six issue series can get published within a year. Well, that and uh, if you look at Cullen Bunn's. <laughs> Resume. He's been a very busy guy last year. Yeah, I guess he's a little busier than he was back in the mid two thousands. Yes. <laughs> so does this kind of like come across as like one of his? Uh, you know, sometimes you hear where you can definitely tell when the uh, the writer is you know writing something that he's like he's he's that's coming from the heart. Like um like my biggest example lack is like when Garth Ennis is writing something about World War Two. You can de you can definitely tell that's what he likes to do. So does this seem kind of like you know what Colin Bunn likes to write? I happen to know it is for this reason. I was listening to another podcast that I listened to, the Comics Alternative, and this one episode, one of the hosts was at a comic convention, and he spoke with Colin Bunn for a few minutes, and he brought up the Damned, and. Uh, the way Cullen was talking about it was, yeah, he was very happy to be back doing this, and he was pretty animated when he was talking. So, I would say, yeah, this is something he's, this particular project is something he really enjoys doing. Okay, yeah, and I think it's actually, you know, it's showing up in the writing, it's showing up in the art. Now it just needs to show up in the shop. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, what else we got to say about the damned? Or, uh, you know, we got enough of that. You know, two issues, like you said, it's not, it's not really a, a lot to sink your teeth into. But I'm actually kind of interested, maybe now, in seeing if I can find some of the earlier stuff. I might as well. I've just, I've got so much other things <laughs> on my plate right now. I'm not sure I can take much more at the time. Yeah, right I, I guess now. we are getting a lot of recommendations from people. Yes. So. 
uh, we've, we've gotten a few from all that and everything. But if anybody wants to give us any recommendations or, or any thoughts on anything, how they get a hold of us. They can send us Twitter at it's at BOTR Comics. Or they can email us at BOTRcomics at gmail.com. Or they can send me an email at my personal email at, at jforgets. Or you at... My, tw- my, my Twitter is utenger, U-T-E-N-G-R. So. Of course. it's every, why, I should have known that. It's every other damn handle you got. Yeah, uh, yes. I mean, I started that like 20 years ago, and I haven't getting, been able to get away with it. That was, my, that was even a license plate on my car for a while. Right. When I could get it so. and everything. So I'm uh, I'm not really on Twitter that much, but uh, you can see it on there. And stuff occasionally gets to me. Um, but, you know, if you send it to the BOTR Twitter, the BOTR uh, email, we'll, we'll, we will get it. And we will add any recommendations to the list and, you know, check it out. Um, I know we've been getting some requests to kind of expand or recategorize uh, some of the publishers we kind of talked about in the first ish, uh, first episode, like like Dark Horse and Image, into some indie stuff, and I, 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 I guess we're going to take that into consideration. Yes. At this point, I'm not holding anything out, other than, of course, Marvel and DC and Valiant, because just because and Aftershock, simply because we've got other podcasts on the network that are doing that. That are yeah, they're truly dedicated to it. So, um, right. But we we may do some cross pollination with uh, comics in black and white. We may do some black and white independence. Yes, I don't re I don't see a reason why we shouldn't or couldn't. So nope. So is that all we got tonight, Jay? That's that's all I've got. All right. Well, we'll be signing off. Um, we're still deciding what our what the next episode is going to be on, but you, we can guarantee you it's going to be an independent book. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> we will be. It will be independent. So, I uh, guess we will see you next episode. Yep. Have a good night. Good night. wasn't terrible. That was pathetic. Ooh. Nerdy Legion. <laughs>